This episode of this podcast is making me thirsty is brought to you by the Dream Cafe. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. Do us a solid. Check out our YouTube channel. This podcast is making me thirsty. Subscribe. Rate and review us on iTunes. If you dig it, please pass it on. Check out our website, SeinfeldPodcast.com. Email us at this podcast is making me thirsty at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at this thirsty. Follow us on Instagram at this thirsty. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. This podcast is making me thirsty. Welcome to this podcast is making me thirsty. The number one destination for Seinfeld fans. This episode 115. Today's guest has had a legendary career as a comedy writer, performer, and author. He wrote for National Lampoon Magazine and worked on National Lampoon Radio Hour. He's collaborated with legends of comedy, including Lucille Ball, Bob Hope, Chevy Chase, Harry Shear, Richard Belzer. He's been a producer and writer on tons of TV shows, including Cheers and Will and & Grace. And of course, he was a story editor on Seinfeld for seasons three and four and wrote three episodes of Seinfeld, including The Cafe and The Suicide. Please welcome Tom Leopold. Tom, thanks for joining. Thank you, gentlemen, for asking me. I wish... Uh... I hear all that. I'm I'm surprised I'm only this old. <laughs> so much. Jesus. So Tom, or as your friends call you, Leo, how are you tonight? I'm good, thank you. I'm not bad at all. So and where do we start? What a career. A but closer, what but other than that, I'm fine. <laughs> you look great. Thank you. Jeff. Um God bless you for that. So much to talk about, but let's let's start with Seinfeld, of course, right? So Take us back, November of 91, The Cafe. One of our favorite episodes, one of the best episodes of all time. Oh, thanks. I mean, that was season three of Seinfeld. Tell us how, how you got the job. I mean, season was one, there... Season one? No, season, season three. Oh, I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, listen, I mean, that episode kind of catapulted I, I, the, the show. So tell us a little bit of like how the whole role came about. Was there a relationship with Larry and Jerry? I mean, um, tell us a little bit how the cafe uh, started. Well, uh, the cafe was an exactly true thing. My wife and I were living on West 11th Street in West Greenwich Village. And um, on the corner, this beautiful little cute street, in, in New York, it looks just like New York Street at the studios in Hollywood. That's how that's how good it looked, you know. And um, there was this little tiny restaurant that opened called the Dream Cafe in this tiny restaurant. And at night, the guy in the the real guy was Vietnamese, right? Little little man. And during the day, he wore a, like a plaid shirt. And and at night, he when he kept open for the nighttime, he put two tables out in front. And two and four little chairs, and the, all he would do to change was he would button his top collar. I just got obsessed by this guy. He buttoned his top collar, right? That was his after six wear, you know. And the place sat about four tables, but the menu was enormous. It was Chinese food, you know, Swedish food, you know, sandwiches, coffee, whatever. 
And I just got totally, every day I'd come home and go past it. Nobody would come in. A guy would be standing there like, you know, like one of those puppies you see at the pet stop, pet store, you know, by me, you know. And nobody would go in. And I and I would say to my wife, my God, you know, they go by there. The poor guy, you know, nobody's going in there. And, and she says, well, go in. I said, I can't go in. If I go in, I'm going to always have to go in because I have to pass it on my way in the apartment. And the poor guy got desperate, you know, and he started putting signs up like free coffee with dessert, free dessert with this. You know, the signs just kept getting more desperate and pathetic, right? You know, my family came over in boats, you know, and, and drowned. I mean, anything, just come in, right? <laughs> and uh, I just never forgot it. And of course it closed. And, but it was just in my mind, you know, that, and um, so I was talking to, uh, we were looking for an episode, and I said to Larry, I told him about this place. I said, and it just obsessed me. And, of course, that was enough to say, yeah, let's, let's, yeah, figure that out, figure that out. You know, I, yeah. And then another thing that, you know, Larry, of course, in, in, with his genius, one, you know, tried to stay true to stories that really had happened to us, you know, which is always a very good way to go. And and uh, and uh, I also, I said, well, I have this other idea that, was a true story to me years and years before I met my BM, my beautiful mate, my wife, Barbara, um, when I was dating a series of almost beautiful women, I uh, was dating a woman who uh, gave IQ tests. And she was always after me to take the IQ test. And I kept pushing it off. I didn't want to because I didn't want to find out it was dumber than I thought I was. Right. So I didn't do it, but it just always stayed in my mind, you know? And so yeah, that's the same episode, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Elaine takes the IQ test for George. She hands it out the window and all that. Incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and Larry being and Jerry being so smart, they said, yeah, that was, that's great. Let's, let's, so I, I figured out how to do it and we wrote it and I wrote it and then we, uh, and, uh, God, we're, but, I, but so, how'd you get in with those guys? I mean, oh, <clears throat> prison. We made <laughs> <laughs> You know, we were uh, we were shivved get together. So, uh, I knew Larry from way before, way before in New York, and um, we did a few shows together. Richard Belzer had a show called uh, the thing that Bill Maher did earlier on, uh, politically incorrect. But this yeah. was before Bill Maher, and I met Larry on that, and we knew a lot of people in common, and we became good friends, and we hung out and. And I met this guy who came, lived next door to him in this this kind of rent-controlled building, this guy that would come in, or his name was Kramer, and come in. This was way before the series. Wow. And, um, and I'll never forget. Uh, so we would have a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And then we worked on another show together, and I can't remember what it was. But I'll never forget, Larry, we were split a cab downtown once, and he says, we're stopped at a light. And he says, you see that corner there? I was like, just a desperately sad corner of near near the bus station. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I said, "Well, that's the corner I have. I've always picked out the one that when I'm homeless, I'll just that'll be my corner." Yes, <laughs> I've heard he well, does he wasn't that. Joking. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Of, that's great. <laughs> heard that? Yeah, I've heard that before. But that, that's now you've confirmed. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Yeah, and um, so anyway, uh, he went out and did this thing called the Seinfeld Chronicles, which was not. You know, it was like only three or four episodes or something. It wasn't the series. 
but it aired, right? And I, I called him. I said, oh, man, gee, it's just too bad. It's so funny. They'll never let it on, but it's damn funny, man. And then he said to me, well, you know, they, and he called me a while later. He says, you know, they, they picked it up for, oh, gosh, what was it? Nine episodes or something? It came through Jerry's um, variety deal. You know, the, this wonderful guy who I knew from working out there so much. Oh, got it. Ron, uh, Rick Ludwin? Rick Ludwin. What a, what a wonderful guy. He, if it wasn't for him, I don't think it would have happened. He, you know, we kind of snuck in the back door through Jerry's, for, you know, the deal that Jerry had for a pilot or a series or something. And things were, it was a perfect time because nothing was sort of happening. And so Jerry, Larry calls it. Well, they picked us up for nine come on out and, and write on it. It was only going to be like four writers or something. I, I said, fantastic. My wife is pregnant with our, can you say pregnant on, on your show? Or do I have to say <laughs> baby or anything? I don't know. Those are the old days. Um, it's oh, great. I figured we'll go out for nine. It's great. Baby's coming and nine, nine jobs in a row. Fantastic. And open most of my life had been spent going from one job to the other, you know, swinging like from one vine to another in show business. And, so we went out there and, and we it was great and um and we started doing the show and we, it was buying it wasn't going anywhere. I mean it was like low on the rating. And you know, and if I have this wrong, you guys know way probably know much more about it than I do. But but um then they changed our night, but even before they changed our night, I'll never forget a few of them had aired. And uh we thought it was funny, you know, but we didn't know. Yeah, Tom, Tom, 16 million people watched the cafe, all right, on Wednesday night. That's when we became fans of the show live. And then obviously went to Thursday. And that's right. You know, people, 30, 35 million people watched The Frogger, which was an awful show. So that just gives you a sense. Like, yes. The, the, the prime writing and prime of the show is definitely Wednesday nights that you were a part of. Well, I, and you know, you, when you're working in these studios, you don't you don't know what's going out and it's affecting anybody. You just go there and you know what I mean. And uh, so I never I forget. My, we went to a party one night, my wife and I, and Katie Segal was there. You know Katie Segal, who was in yeah, Married uh, Children. Oh, yeah. yeah, Peggy. And, and I didn't know her, but I knew who she was, but I didn't know her personally. And she came up to me and she, and she said, "I heard you write for Seinfeld." And I go, "Yeah." She says, Oh my God, that's my favorite. It was like I was a celebrity. It was the first time as a writer. You know, I've worked with so many celebrities and been on lucky enough to be with a lot of things, but it was the first time I was, I felt, uh, you know, a little bit of celebrity. And I started to realize, and then um, people started throwing spec scripts over the wall at our studio at Radford and I don't know, Ventura, wherever it was in the Valley. You know, these some of them were wow. hilarious. We'd read them, you know, and some were written by mental patients, you know, <laughs> written like send one copy, the only copy the guy had, he'd throw it over the wall, and we'd read it, and and uh, and then it it started. I thought, well, and, and then they picked us up for, you know, twenty six for the first season, and and it really started to to go nuts, and people took went came to us, and we had did interviews, and camera crews, and and. Um, I was, um, we were all, I mean, I don't know about the guys, but I mean, I was 
only amazed because it was just so funny. And, it, and because we sort of died at the beginning or weren't as popular at the beginning, they just didn't pay any attention. So by the time we were kind of hitting our stride, or Larry and Jerry were, we'd already hit a groove. They couldn't change, and it started to work. But right. if you think now, that never would have had the opportunity. That would have been gone. You know. Yeah, you, you yeah, needed it, some time to grow, right? Right, and you no, know, because it kind of nobody was kind of paying attention, and right, and um, and not nobody, but I mean, it's just by the time they put their eyes on it seriously the networks we had already done what it was going to be and was right. catching on but uh, nowadays or even back then soon after that you know they if it wasn't doing this number you know they forget it you know and you right. never would have seen seinfeld you know yep and, and you know i'm always interested in the in the process a little bit um you know you mentioned so you come in with the two stories right i got this idea about this restaurant it happened to yeah, me yeah yeah i got this idea about the iq it happened to me larry says great run with it right yeah. now and from our understanding then you write the script you pass it on and larry and jerry kind of take a pass at it sure and then that's what kind of ends up on air right yeah um, that's right that's right. Okay. That's cool. Cause, cause there's something, there's just these, these lines that stick out to fans like us that are just like, it's always like, where did it come from? Kind of things, you know, like they're just so good. Like, you know, just like, why is nice bad? Or people think I'm smart, but I'm not smart or Cass's, be Cass's belly, just things from that episode. They're just baboo, you know, you're a very bad man. Um, right. It's just my favorite it's, line. Yeah. My favorite line is after Kramer falls all over the place and it's, spaghetti sauce everywhere and they run out and poor Baba Bots just watching him leave the restaurant and he goes tell your friends <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I came up with that on the spot and my one of my dearest friends you know who Harry Shearer is Tommy yeah, yeah of course yeah, Harry was there that night he just happened he came to it because it was my one of my episodes and and, he, and he, Harry gave me one of these because he had a, a line wasn't working so in a lot of these shows you, all week the, the line you know, you start out with a script and then the crew laughs while you rehearse it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then, you know, by the Wednesday comes, they've heard the lines. So you don't start to distrust your own sense of this is funny anymore. They're not laughing anymore. But anyway, right. the one line that we thought would kill that was in the place of that line died for some reason. So we had to run out. You know, the audience is there. You think of another one. I just said, tell your friends. This Larry says, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I got a pretty big laugh. house. Yeah. Those are the moments as a comedy writer, you really feel like it's, you know, do or die. And the audience knows it, which is kind of fun. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, to us, and again, it's it's so early in the series, this episode, right? Yeah. It's it's episode like 24 of all whole entire, right? So it's, and, and, and as O'Hara mentioned, we were watching this live as these episodes were coming out, season two, season three. And you're right. seeing these pockets of George Costanza, you know, as, as who he's going to be. And and this episode, if, if actually every single character is is encompassed perfectly in this episode for what they are, um, yeah. and especially George. You know, like the door. Why would I use the door? The the window's right there. You know, just shows exactly where this guy's at. Like it, it it leads to the eventual like was that wrong when he has sex in the red dot? But like this is even before that. You know, it's this is like this sets everything up. You know, like why would I use the door when I heard that line live? Like I was a star. It's just so it's so like George Costanza. You know, it's yes. just. It's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all, of you, all the characters. Well, credit to the guys, you know, Larry and Jerry, too, because, you know, where we all kind of figured out how to hook them together and bring it back to the restaurant. It's all a lot of that's just simple sweat, you know, 
how do we get them together? How do we figure it out? You know, the lines are, well, especially if you get lucky and you're in a room with Larry David and, and uh, Char Larry Charles and, and Jerry, of course, and Elaine Pope. Um, you know, you know the lines are going to come. It's story that you, that's the sweat, the sweat work, you know. So yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me how that works because as a as an outsider, because because the the lines is what all the fans remember these funny one liners like the one line. But as writers, you're like, we need a story that's going to be funny and that carries through yeah. and that has all the characters and makes sense and you don't know if it's going to land and it's like the premise has to be good. It's like it's so interesting how like you're just like, oh, the line that'll come, that's easy, and that to us as fans is usually like. That's like the, well, that, the that's what you should. That's what you should enjoy. You know, you yeah. shouldn't have. You know, right? We it. shouldn't be thinking about. It, but for you guys, it's like, oh my gosh, we need stories. We need stories. We need them all the time. Right. Yeah, it has to make sense. It's got to be. But funny. Larry said a great thing, and, and I never forgot it. And, and uh, I, I had done episodes of sitcoms, but I hadn't been staff on it. And then I went on to do a bunch more. But you know, he said, you know, you should be able to tell the story without any jokes at all, and it makes you laugh. So if you've got a story that does that. Like, you know, if you if you get something, you know, if you pitch Larry an idea, Larry was very good at saying, oh, yeah, I see three scenes. Oh, yeah. If, you know, the IQ test. Ah, oh, I see three scenes. Even though you haven't figured them out yet, you know that it has legs, you know. So um, that's the thing. I've taught a lot of master classes or sitcom writing. And, and that's the hardest thing to, to, for people to, because um, it's the hard, it's not the fun part, you know. You're not decorating the cake, you know, you're, it's like, you gotta, even though you might think of some great line, if it's a great line and it's not grounded in anything, you gotta be able to throw those lines out, you know, so. Yeah, and that, I mean, God, the cafe, like, just watching it again recently, like, hasn't lost a step at all. I mean, funny is fun. Jerry's sitting alone at the restaurant with Babu, the shrimp being stringy, unbelievable. So, uh, Okay, cafe. Wow, and great so casting. Uh, yeah, wonderful, Brian. Uh, yeah. So yeah, were you involved? Like, were you, were you involved with Hirschfeld and getting Babu? Oh, oh, sure. We were there. You know, when all the when casting when actors would come in. Yeah. Lovely English gentleman came in. Yeah, Brian George. Brian George and uh, English accent. You know, very sort of like that. Uh, does an Indian accent is. Because originally it was going to be Vietnamese guy, just like the real guy. Right. And then we went and we looked up names. Babu Bhatt, that's funny. And it's, it's Pakistan or whatever it was. And the guy was, you know, so often the interesting thing in, in when you write something and then you cast it, you know, you can go through 40 people during the day and your face hurts because you're smiling, but it's not really good. And, or they're not right. Then all of a sudden, after one line, you hear like ding, like, like a note. Like a musical note, you know, that's the guy. And then the guy, the woman or the man will do something that you never could have thought of, you know, that makes you look like a genius because they found a funny way to do it. And then when, you know, and then if you're smart, you have them back for other shows, then you write to what the actor did. You know, if the actor cries from you find a way to make the actor cry, you know, but he brought so much more, so much to it. You know that it's yeah, a, he, it's a very lucky alchemy. You know, if you get the casting and the yeah, the, the casting, especially with the stars, was what made the show special. So, oh all right, 
the cafe happens, then let's fast forward a little bit to January, or this probably got filmed in, uh, you know, the winter of 91, the suicide. So, like, tell us about how that, you, so were you, were you on staff or how, just tell yeah, us yeah, about I was there every day for every episode. You were, okay. Pitching lines on everybody's show. I mean, everybody. So that was like you, like you with Larry Charles and, uh, I don't know, Matt Goldman was, I was he there at the I mean, time. I wasn't and, there. I know Matt. He, he was Melman, there Melman was there though, right? Melman was there. Okay. Elaine, so the, he, Elaine, the, Melman, Larry Charles. So the suicide, you know, very underrated episode. Like watching it again, I mean, again, holds up incredibly. Uh, Martini story, yeah. Gene. Oh, all right. So yeah, tell us a little bit how that story came about. That story was, again, uh, we were in New York, and over Christmas time, my wife and I, we went away for Christmas time. And we we had this neighbor that lived next to us, and it the the cast album to Phantom of the Opera had just come out. And this guy, you know, it had this great rent-controlled apartment in the village with a bathtub in the kitchen and really charming on the best street, $200 a month. I kept that apartment for 25 years, you know. That's what kept me in show business, you know. That's my that's my advice to young people in show business. Low overhead, man. That's or rent control, yeah. You know, forget talent. Low overhead. But, um, so, and we would hear this guy play Phantom of the Opera, you know, all day long and all night long. And then he would come out and lock his doors and he had like 12 locks and he was absolutely crazy, you know, and he, poor guy, and he do the locks up and down and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, we go away for Christmas. We come back and a couple of days we start to smell, you know, there's a mouse or something died in the wall or something not good, you know, and, you know, and, and went the next day and it got, the smell kind of got worse. And then, then I started to think, you know, because our wall shared the wall with this guy. And I and I go out of the, my door to his door, and I'm going to knock, and the door swings open, right? And I, the smell hits me like that, you know, like a fist, you know? And I call the super to come up. <laughs> it's a whole other story. But anyway, um, he says, he pushes in, and we go in, and we see this guy on the couch unrecognizable. I don't get too graphic, but he had been dead. For, he killed himself. Wow. His wife had left him over Christmas and he had shot himself. And it's now his body is bloated to the point that if we had been one more day, he would have exploded. The cops told him, you know, Oh my God. So <laughs> had let him left him on over Christmas. Now here's of course the great New York thing that I don't think he ever did it on a show, but, he they took him away, and then his, because his apartment was rent controlled, his wife moved right, moved back in, and kept the apartment <laughs> because it was one hundred and sixty dollars a month or something. So anyway, I, we did it, and I wanted the script more to be like. Did she look like Gina, the wife? She's very pretty, the wife. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, but I but it made me think when I, I told Larry the story. I said, "You, but I what I want to do is." Because Larry never, like, loved anybody on the show. Like, I wanted him to fall in love with this woman. And for, we made it so it's, he's in a coma, you know, not dead. But I wanted the problem to be Jerry wanting him to die because he was in love with... Ah, uh, right, 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 right. But, you know, you know, and, and then, but their, you know, it's a little bit of their sensibility was, I wanted to go a little more, you know, realer, but that... It wasn't, you know, you yeah. Couldn't go too deep on right, that right. show, and then and that's 
It's fine. That was the beauty of it, right? But anyway, so we made it that. And then that was the episode where I wrote in um, Newman. Newman. Yeah, it's his first episode. That's where we're gonna. Right. I was gonna get at that when well, you I said before. Newman. Yeah, about yeah. a guy hitting, you know, and Newman hit. Right, it was one of those oh, things where he hit, and he, and he wasn't supposed to be recurring, right? Oh no! And I'll never forget Wayne coming in and reading, and then again, like there. Oh, God, now I'm really gonna look like a genius because this guy is so fucking good. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, that's where Newman came in the Drake's cakes. Yes, and tell then, us about the Drake's. Well, the Drake's cakes. I think that was Larry's idea. And, <laughs> but the great thing about Seinfeld was that anything we put into the script, I don't know if has any other writers told you this, that we put, started to put things in that we wanted. Like when we did the Drake's Cake episode, suddenly two huge cases of Drake's Cakes shows up in our office. And, oh, wow. And That's the same awesome. with sneakers and the Pez, the Pez episode. Then we got all these great Pezes and Pez dispensers and Pez and, so we started thinking, what do I need? You know, what do I need? I can put in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, today today it's called product placement, and the show right. gets. I, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, I thought that was the other way around. Yeah, yeah, it worked the other way around. Yeah, That's interesting. So you're so you're a Drake's guy. You wanted that or what? I think Larry pitched the idea of the Drake. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but so then good. he gave us the idea to like just, you know. You know, George hypochondriac, George sort of the, you know, worried about things at the psychic lupus. Is it lupus? That was a, that's always a great line. Everyone loves that line. Um, stooges. I will show you these. I will show you the stooges with yes. the, uh, the stooges with Gina. There's just, just so many like just. Well, the casting of that show is like a miracle, you know. And so well, I've done so many pilots of my own and I've worked on so many shows that ca- you, know, you can write a really good script. If you don't get a good cast, it doesn't matter. But if you get a great cast and a mediocre script, it'll be good. So all about. Talk, I mean, so talking about great scripts, let's fast forward a little bit to October of '92. Another Wednesday night. God, if this was on a Thursday night, it would have been 50 million viewers. But the Cheever Letters, uh, hands hands down, a top 10 episode. Right. Obviously, you shared some writing credits there, but would love to. My contribution. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, wait, what was your contribution to that, to the Cheever? My contribution to that was, where's my wife? I don't want to hear. But back when I was single in the old days, I need to go listen. I've been married 35 years. But um, our first child was born during the first season of Seinfeld. And Larry gave me a day off. Thanks. Nice guy. Yeah. One day off, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, my contribution to that was, <laughs> it's embarrassing, but I was, being tender with a young lady, you might say. And she was into talking, like sexual talking, you know, and I'm like, you know, okay. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with her and she elevates it. And I tried to elevate it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I do that. And then take off my panties. I went, yeah, the panties your mother bought you. And then all of a sudden she snapped out of it and went, wow. What did you say? <laughs> I went, what? What? And I never forgot that. And so I, I, I told Larry, I told stories. Oh God, you got to put it in. I forget what he actually said in the show. The panties it was laid out for you. That. The panties your mother laid out yeah, for you. I incredible lie. You actually said that too. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. What do we use in the show? I don't even remember. The, but the panties your mother laid out for you. The, the panties your mother laid show? out for you. Yeah, that was in the show. The exactly. panties your mother laid out for you. Exactly. The girl said to me, and all of a sudden, I'm, oh God, I'm a perv now. All of a sudden, you know. And so uh, that's that was my contribution. 
I mean, there was there's lines of mine in all the shows, as there are lines of everybody else's in my shows. So I know I contributed lines to the rest of the shows, but right. I, actually, while, while actually, we're on that, you know, what what are some of your what are some of your favorite episodes? Whether you know, maybe we're just actually being a part in writing them or, or watching them when they were being taped or, you know, they have sentimental value. But like, what, what, did, what did you take away from the years you were there? Let's say, like, what were your favorite, some of your ones where you were like, damn, this is this is incredible. Well. One thing that, as you mentioned, that comes to mind is the one in the parking garage. That was an early one where they can't find their car. Yeah. Elaine's got the, the fish. In the bag, and the bag, and the fish is dying. Yeah. If they don't get the to a pole, if they don't find their car, the fish is going to die. And that was Elaine Pope's idea. We needed something to make it important, not just that that, that uh, you know George had to pick up his parents. It had to be something with a ticking clock. And, and uh, Elaine Pope came up with that. It was a great idea. But what I remember about that was. There really was no great ending to that episode. Okay, they find the car and they get in and that's it. But after the whole episode of trying to find the car and the fish is going to die and they finally find the car, they get in the car and in the script, the car was just going to start and that was going to be it. You know, you blah, 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 the guitar thing. But every day during rehearsal, the car started. But the night of the show, they get in and after all of this half an hour of looking for the car and fighting and shrining and yelling at each other, the car, they get in, they finally find, in, in this one take, never happened before, the car didn't start. And it ended up being the most beautiful ending that we didn't think of. It just shows you that when, when things are right, you know, they just, they can't go wrong. It's like being on a street, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The universe was on your side. We didn't think of that, you know. We didn't think of that, and it's just but, like when you're working right. It sometimes you just get lucky. You know? And that's season three. Like you mentioned, some names like Larry Charles, Larry David, Elaine Pope, yeah. uh, Tom Sharon is obviously yeah. an incredible yeah. director. I mean, just such a close knit. Like, just tell us a little bit of like, like who'd you hang out with? Who were some of your buddies that you kind of were closest to on the show? Well, I knew Larry Charles way before Seinfeld. I, uh, Richard Belzer and I were very close friends, and I, I played his manager on six episodes. Richard Belzer was a comic. Now people don't remember. He's, he's known mostly as Cop Munch on, you know, the cop show. We can remember them this, you know. But he was stand-up, and we had six episodes on, uh, on Cinemax, the Richard Belzer show. And I, he played Richard Belzer stand-up at Catch the Rising Star, and I was his manager, Tom Leopold. So I was the head writer and co-star and, and this young guy, Larry Charles, who, who Richard knew. And I knew him from then. He was like my little apprentice writer on that. And so years later, we ended up working. So I, I love Larry. Larry was, you know, like a resident kind of, I don't know what you'd say, uh, uh, hippie, I don't know, whatever. But always very funny. And, and the best writing rooms are, you know, this guy can do this and you, you can't do that. But that guy's just as funny in that way as you are in that way. You don't want a room with everybody being as, the kind of funny you are, you know? So yeah, that I knew Larry and we always hung out and um, yeah, you know, it's like, a, it was an early show. We'd get home early. Other shows I did, man. Will and Grace. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You, know, that. you got home at two in the morning, you know? 
but yeah, I um, mean, you wrote on, on cheers as well, which we're, we're huge fans yeah, of cheers, you know, I love that was my favorite. That was, okay. As far as like the, like from a professional standpoint or literally as a fan. No, just as a, I mean, I love working on Seinfeld, but right. on, on cheers, it had already been going a few years. It's a big, it's like working, going from the, to the Rolls Royce uh, company, right. you know, where, where, where it's like platinum, you know, it's, uh, you know, and, uh, and the writing room was best, funniest guys I'd ever worked with all together. And I got spoiled thinking, okay, it's always going to be like this. But I worked with some guys that were just, we would work long hours, but I'd go home and couldn't go to sleep. I just, we'd be laughing so hard and, and doing room bits. And so that was, uh, you know, they're all different. These, these rooms and the, are all different chemistry, you know, it's, and, and a good executive producer casts the writers just like you might cast an actor. You know, you have to cast the room just right. And with Seinfeld, it was great because it was such a small amount of writers. And then when I went on to do Cheers and things like that, there'd be like 10 or 11 writers, and five of them would be out writing scripts, and the core of us would be in the room. So, I mean, it's... I, I, since then, I've always preferred to keep it smaller because it's, you know, it's a tighter little unit, little army unit, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, that's just an incredible career. I've worked with so many just, you know, uh, amazing legendary people on these shows. It's uh, on Seinfeld. I mean, your, your episodes, I know you, you add to all of the shows, but the ones you actually, you know, you credited with actually writing with your stories, um, they, they, we're so good, especially as O'Hara mentioned earlier. I mean, the the cafe takes every character perfectly, puts them all together, yeah. and, and encompasses all of them. But did you have a a favorite character to write for, or was it sort of just like you know what? I have these stories. I'll, I'll throw them at anyone. Or was there anything particular you really you know grabbed um, onto? Well, the one I had the most fun doing was one with the JFK assassination one, with the spit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, because I had been so obsessed with the Kennedy assassination and I kept pushing Larry to do, let's do something with that, you know. Uh, and it worked out great because we had Hernandez, the, the baseball player who spit and we did it just like the movie JFK, which had just come out. And I was, that's one that I particularly enjoyed, you know, because uh, we ended up connecting it like this conspiracy theory where. Did the spit really come from this angle? It's impossible. There must have been another spitter. You know, I got kind of a kick out of that one, you know. And uh, yeah, the other I mean, writer, the Hernandez episode, I mean, I think that's what made the show kind of <clears throat> take off for sure. So let's say, Tom, it's like, take us even further back. How do you, like, get your start? Where, Like, where'd you grow? Are you a New Yorker? No, I grew up in Miami, actually, and uh, of all places. And came to New York at 17 to go to acting school. Really? Yeah. I got into acting school at 17 at NYU, just the acting school. One moment. Oh. Is that Larry Charles? No, that's Siri. She's uh, <laughs> having her deported. But anyway. Uh, so I get up to acting school at 17 years old. I'm 1966. Well, what do you mean acting school? You went to Miami. You just, well, like, I was an actor. I started as this, an actor. NYU, A lot right? of that. Broadway, off Broadway, Gunsmoke, Mannix, Laverne, and I did all Broadway. And I did tons of acting, and I came up to acting school at seventeen. And I'm the youngest kid at NYU on East Village, NYU. And first two people I meet are Christopher Guest and Michael McKean. 
And wow. they're 19, I'm 17, which was a big age difference. And I didn't realize, you know, it's, it's not the humblest thing to say, but what else have I got? The how funny I was until I met those guys who I knew how funny they were. And they were laughing at me. And I, I just spoke with Mike, you know, so I've known those guys for 50 years. You know, Chris and I did a lot of stuff together. A lot of Chris Gast and I were very close. And so I, then when I met those guys and then, so I would start then because Chris, then Chris had a new, some guy at the National Lampoon magazine. So he said, let's go up and pitch them an idea for the National Lampoon magazine, which was the time was a very hip thing. Billy Murray was there. Right. Lucy was there. Gilda Radner. Chevy, of course, who I ended up writing a lot with and for. Um, so we went up and got, so by the age of 21, I'm writing for the National Lampoon radio show and magazine. While I'm off in Boston doing a play for five months, I'd send in. So the writing and the acting kind of was parallel for a long time. And um, so, and then we, we did other things. and and But the big break a writing break came when Chevy Chase, who was the biggest star in the country after the first season of Saturday Night Live. I don't know if, tell me if I'm boring you or it's not, not going. Anywhere. No, this is exactly what we want to hear. We're, we're oh, okay. Out, okay. Yeah, this is amazing. Well, so anyway, I go, this is, you know, um, by that point, I'd done a lot of stuff, both acting and writing. I was pretty lucky. I got guest starring. I go out to Hollywood and guest starring parts on Gunsmoke and Mannix and all these shows. And um, come back, spend the money, and you know, go back out there. But I was always writing at the same time, not thinking I'd be a writer. Certainly, anyway, I went, uh, after one of the episode shows of Saturday Night Live, the first season, I get invited with Chris Guest. We go to this after party at Dan Aykroyd's loft in the in the in, the, in the, wherever it was, and there's Chevy and there's Billy Murray and uh, and uh, so I'm sitting there, and Chris Guest and Chevy Chase had shared a house in in LA before either of them were doing anything. So I knew Chevy casually, but I didn't know him very well. So I'm sitting on the couch at this party and Chevy Chase who's now overnight become the biggest star in America. And um, my wife's talking on the phone. Can you hear it? Cause I'll give her, I won't hit her in the face, but I will. <laughs> Never in the face. And I'm proud of that. But anyway. Um, so this, so Chevy comes over to me and who I knew slightly, he sits down next to me and apparently Chris had been talking to him about, it. he sits down next to me and he goes, I hear you're the funniest guy. And I just went, yeah. Yeah. And for some reason that really made him laugh. The fact that I didn't try to be funny at all. I just sort of agreed with him, you know, <laughs> and then he leaves Saturday night live after the first season. I get a call on the phone from him. And I always thought this is an interesting story. And it's an interesting story as a writer, too, that I'll tell you why. But I get a call from Chevy, and he, he says, look, I just left Saturday Night Live. I have to give them two specials at NBC or they wouldn't let me leave. I want you to write on it. But I only want you to write on it if um, – hold on. I'm going to close the door to my rooms up here. Honey, I'm being marvelous on the on a Zoom call. Hold on. And uh, – but Chevy says, I only want you to write on it if, if what I heard you say, say to someone you actually said. And I said, oh, well, yeah, well, what did I say, you know? And he says, well, I was, I was doing a play in Boston, and Chris Guest's sister, who I've known since I was a teenager, wanted to come up and see me in the play. And 
And she said, can I stay with you? I said, sure, sure. I had a, an apartment. She says, great, I'll stay two or three days. And I said, stay too. And for some reason, that made Chevy really laugh. The fact that I said, she said, I'll stay two or three days. And I said, stay too. <laughs> and he said, did you really say that? And I never thought it was that brilliant. I thought it was kind of funny, but yeah. And she says, okay, I want you to write my show. It's special. And I ended up writing a great amount of his first special with Brian Murray, Billy's brother. And yeah. Yeah. I, that's where I became very I mean, just those two lines you just told me you gave Chevy Chase. That those are Chevy Chase type lines. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's like why I was able perfect. to really write. Yeah, said, especially what? Yeah, it's it's we like we all you, shared you, a certain kind of humor. Yeah, it's that same humor. Like, uh, you but, know, you're the funniest one. Yep, like that's yeah, uh, that's great. And um, but I learned a lot from that. He was very smart because I've read so many scripts when I was hiring writers or hiring people to be on shows that you go through a stack of scripts like mile high and you go, you go through them and one line will hit you. You know, and you go from one line, you know, oh, I, that's guy. I got to know that guy. You know, it's like, and I understand, you know, I, it was very savvy and, and it was a, a, a kind of a trick that I, I really paid attention to. It's like, you know, I, I remember when you get, when you do it so long, remember I could walk through a room and it'd be a, a comedy on them. And I would hear one line, my be like a dog whistle, like ah, whoever wrote that line, I want, I want to know, I want that guy to be my friend, you know. <laughs> but it's yeah. like this weird kind of tuning, you know. So, Tom, Leo, I call you Leo. We're friends Please. now. Please, um, well, you're Leo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have this like special connection with like comedic geniuses from Larry David to Chevy Chase, yeah. you name it, right? Like where did it come from? Where did it come from? Like you're Miami guy. Like your parents funny. Like I don't know. I love to just hear like. And then you said you came to New York, and you all of a sudden you knew you were funny. Like how'd that come about? Well, my father was very, very, very funny. Very funny, but for real funny. Like he could tell a story, and, he, and I'd be screaming, and he'd bring. Backs, he'd bring back callbacks from the earlier parts of the story, and I'd be screaming. So, I mean, and he was a traveling salesman, so he was he was funny, and he had a real show business flair, and he was in the dress business, but and became very successful. But he loved funny, so it was because my dad would buy the Mel Brooks 2000 year old man record, and I'd lay in front of the hi fi, you know, and I'd memorize everything like so many of my peers did, you know. Bob Newhart, the Jonathan Winters, who was one of my great hero. Yeah. I have a great Jonathan Winters story if you're interested. But yeah, go ahead. all these people I ended up writing for by the time I was five years out of high school. You know, I just got so lucky and I was, uh, so I was writing for my heroes, you know, within 10 years of leaving high school, you know. And, uh, and so I was, I, but I didn't realize I was getting funny in high school. I just realized I was miserable. And I, I missed a lot of school growing up. I was very sickly. You know, I was in the hospital with asthma and stuff. You know, the art, the arch typical wound, you know, being hurt into semi-art. That's how I always call it. Or as Harry Shearer refers to me, a semi-precious stone in the crown of comedy. And I, that's <laughs> great uh, praise from Harry. But um, so I hadn't realized I'd been, you know, I was a wise guy and always in trouble and miserable because I was terrible grades. But apparently I something had been cooking inside of me that 
it's a, you know, it's like a musical gift in a lot of ways. You know, it's like an ear thing. So speaking of of gifts, I'd be remiss. Um, similar to George Costanza, I think it was season six, the conversion. He he went to Latvian Orthodox, and you, welcome to Catholicism. Uh, you became a Catholic a few, a few years ago. Obviously, yeah. you know it's 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 well known. Uh, obviously, you, you, your daughter had a sickness. I know she's she's doing well now. But oh, um, yeah, thank um, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. How, you know, this father Jonathan Morris, by the way, is it true? Oh, you really he, do know something about me. I'm amazed. Yeah, is it true? He uh, he was at St. Pat's. What he he's not a priest anymore, right? Or he got married? Well, he he, he left the priest. He wanted to get married and have kids, but he was a priest at the time. And he'd wanted to leave, but it really came about, you know, I'm very Jewish. And as I always say, you don't get this funny not being Jewish, you know, just, <laughs> just can't, you can, but it's, of course you can, but, um, but we never were bar mitzvah. My parents listened to show tunes on Saturday. I mean, we never went, I was one, I'm one of three brothers, four brothers and never bar mitzvah, never went, you know, we never were, were observant, but very, very culturally proud to be Jewish. As a matter of fact, we lived on a golf course my father couldn't play on because it was restricted. You know, so my dad would have to drive miles to play golf in a golf course in our backyard. And, mm. You know, anyway. So, um, yeah, these, as you say, my one of my daughters had been very ill for a long time in many different hospitals around the country and so on. And um, at one particular point, um, these supernatural things began to happen to me. I hadn't really ever prayed for real, you know, and I always, you know, and I, and one night it was Christmas. I won't go into the whole thing, but we were Christmas Eve and we're in Arizona and my daughter's in this hospital and we can only have her for one day, Christmas day. They would only let, you know, let her out of the hospital because she had been ill and we're there and we're staying in this dude ranch motel in Arizona. And with the cowboy setting, cowboy lamps and <laughs> antlers and shit. And we're so sad. And we decorated this little motel with Christmas stuff we got from the dollar store of Wickenburg, Arizona. The dollar store, the Tiffany's of Wickenburg, you know. And, we're, and I mean, we just went to bed. And we there was bunk beds because it was cowboy motif. And I took the top bunk. Barbara won the toss. You know, my wife. Anyway. So I go up there and it's Christmas Eve and it's my kid's sick and my other daughter's there too. And here we are. And, and for the first time in my life, I actually prayed. And I remember even thinking then, I don't know from praying, you know, the only thing I know about praying, like is only thing I know about everything, which is what I've seen on television growing up. And I remember thinking to myself, like remembering an episode of Wagon Train, you know, I'm old enough to be a kid when all those shows were on. And the, and, the, and the wagon master, the little kid gets sick on the wagon train. He prays, goes behind the chuck wagon, and, you know, he goes, Lord, I'm not a praying man, but if you just get us through Comanche territory before that little girl dies of diphtheria, why, Lord? You know, I'm thinking, I can't pray like Lord Bond, and I got to be for real, you know? So I actually, was pray, you know, and the next morning, my wife and I, we got up at sunrise, and we're in the desert. Our hotel is in the desert in Arizona. And we go up at dawn. It's Christmas morning. And we're walking through the desert. And I'd forgotten that I even played for real, you know. And all of a sudden, out of the sun comes this motorcycle. 
And this old guy, like a Clint Eastwood guy, real old, like ex-Marine guy, riding a motorcycle with antlers for handlebars. And all these patches comes right up to us and stops. There's nobody for miles and miles. It's dawn on the desert. And he comes up to us and he starts talking to us. And, and it's as if he knew all about us. It was the freakiest thing. And he started telling us things. And, he, and the phone rings. It's my daughter. And she goes, don't answer. You can call her back. I hadn't told her anything. I told him anything. Blah, blah, blah. And he starts to pull away. There's other things that happen. I know we don't go too long with it. But he pulls away and he turns back and goes, he looks, comes up to me. And he points at me. And he goes, God is watching and he started talking about how he had come to God at 33 when he was 33. His wife brought him to God. Jesus died at 33. He's telling me all this stuff. And then he just goes away. And I remember thinking, I remember wanting to go into the, the guy who ran the hotel. And I said, you know, this guy came up a motorcycle handlers and talked to me. And my hope was that he was going to say, you saw old Bill? Why, he died in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> That's what I wanted. And I was, oh, yeah, I know. Him. But it wasn't. But, but, it was, but it was shaking. It, it was, he, he said a bunch of things. And then these other things began to happen. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I, you can sort of read about it if you want. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, hey. Down, but, it's, uh, but, you know, it was almost like, all right, I get it. All right. <laughs> I'm in. You know, don't, you're scaring me, you know. And well, was, hey, listen, uh, that's a Incredible story, and we're so happy your daughter's doing better. And welcome, welcome to the club. We're glad to have you. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a great story. The, um, you know, it's something you mentioned right before that story when when you were talking about your your father and how he could call back jokes and and how you got your humor from him. It got me thinking because your episodes have a lot of callbacks in them to other Seinfeld episodes, which I always love to see because it kind of shows that you guys are paying attention to those types of things. And I didn't know if it was purposeful or even if you did it or Larry did it or who did it, but I did notice it a lot. Like, you know, you do a callback to Audrey from the nose job in the suicide when George is at the psychic. Uh, there's a whole theme with Kramer's jacket that kind of runs through some of these episodes. Um, you know, there's just, I was curious if there's, especially with the thing like the jacket, because it's almost like a mini arc with Kramer's jacket. I don't know if you yeah. remember that, but are those talked about at all? Or is it just like, you know, if someone wrote one thing and then someone else just kind of latches onto it and adds it to their script, or you guys are like, Hey, let's make sure we're bringing this, this jacket back. Or is it just more like organic? I, I was always curious about those type of arcs, especially in Seinfeld. Cause aside from, you know, aside from the arc of the, the show within the show, of season right. four, there aren't a lot of those like arcs, but there are a lot of callbacks as they bring them in. It's just always interesting. Yeah. To see. A lot of it's accidents, you know, that, wow, that thing turned out funny. And then, and then you're writing another episode where you go, ah, wouldn't it be funny if the guy who scored on the, on episode, whatever it was in year, whatever it was showed up there. And then you start seeing things, you know, you, you find these little pockets of gold, that you make regulars, you know, or little jokes that you can bring back. And that only happens if you get a chance to build a world, you know. Uh, yeah. You start building this world, and then you've got a population. 
that you can draw from, you know, of jokes and of people. That's so, true. Yeah, yeah. The Simpsons is really good. Your, you have to keep your ears open for it, yeah. or eyes open for these things, you know. And then it looks like you're. You just have to be aware when they when the uh, you know one gets dropped in from heaven from you. Right. They come. They exactly. You you have your antenna up, and they kind of just come. Uh, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. If you show up, they might. The talent might show up too. You know, if you show yeah. up. Tom. More importantly, uh, what did you get on your SAT? We know George lied about it. <laughs> you look like a smart guy, I mean, the too. The same thing as Costanza. I tell people one thing and I got something else. Like uh, That's what well, my go-to. I don't – you know, you wouldn't even believe me if I told you how low – I mean, I don't even know how low it was. I don't even know if I finished the test. You know, I barely got out of high school, really, truly. And I only realized I was – oh, I, might, I probably could have done pretty good in school. But when later, when I was working so hard, but no, I was a miserable student. But I missed so much school that by the time I was gotten well, I was so far behind in such an erotic mess. And all I wanted to do was leave and go into show business. That's all I cared about. You know, I didn't want to even finish high school, but you sort of had to in those days. And now my school life was a, it was a misery, really. I mean, I, I guess that's pretty true of a lot of people in showbiz or in arts. Something yeah. Know. So, uh, yeah. just how? What are you up to these days? Obviously, you, you, you and your wife up in Connecticut having some fun. What uh, you working on anything these days or enjoying? Yeah. I'm doing a lot of. I've always well, I always keep doing stuff. Um, I'm doing. I wrote a musical, a two person musical. With Schaefer or no? Oh no! But Schaefer and I are very. Paul Schaefer is my dearest friend for 50 years now, uh, and we we have a thing where we we love to see bad entertainment. I don't know if you read about. People have written about us. Me, Harry Shearer, Belzer, Paul, whoever else is around. We love, we fly different parts of the country to see horrible entertainment. It's really our favorite thing because so much more interesting stuff happens with bad entertainment. Why it's bad, you know? Whereas good entertainment, okay, it's good, right? Right. No mystery there. But we haven't have a saying where we go, what if we go and it's good? Believe it's just fucking money. You know, it's like um, it's kind of like you know you mentioned Christopher Guest. It's kind of like waiting for Guffman. You know, yeah, it's like exactly. that. It's so bad, but they they don't think it's bad, and they really no, want to put on that play, and they're gonna. So yeah, I could see that being yes, it's uh, fascinating. <laughs> but of course, when you're watching it, it's painful. Right. It's only later after you review it, you review it, you review it. So Paul and I do that because he's in New York too, and Chris when he's in town or whatever. But um, what I'm working on now is this musical called Tonight on Deep. Kip and Sylvia, Tonight on D-Deck. And it's about a horribly miserable husband and wife songwriting couple who've written songs performing on a doomed cruise liner an evening of their songs. And Kip and, I, Kip and Sylvia Glasscock, the Glasscocks, and it's an evening of their music and their life. And uh, it's really funny. I, I write music, too, in songs. And uh, I wrote a musical with Harry Shearer called J. Edgar, which starred Kelsey Grammer and John Goodman and Chris Guest and Mike McKee. And we did it at the Aspen Comedy Festival. And you could get it on, uh, we did it on NPR. It's called J. Edgar, exclamation point. And so I've always loved musicals and, 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 and bad musicals particularly. So I've just written these two horrible people, but it's, it's real funny. We're going to do it at the Triad Theater uh, next month. And um, I've also written an animated show. I've done a lot of animated shows with Jonathan Katz. Great Jonathan Katz, comedian, and uh, I, I just written a script for an animated show. So you know, I'm still doing the. You know, what am I going to do? Not 
not be the right stuff? <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I hobbies. If you're doing horrible musicals, you need some horrible actors. You know, you have my you got my number now, so <laughs> set me free, baby. That's all. <laughs> well, it's Tom. I got to tell you, this is this has been a complete treat for us. Flattered. Um, Thank you so yeah. much, Gary. Career. You are. Uh, you are. Yeah. You are a comedic legend. You know. Thanks. Thank you. The stuff you've written. You know the, the stories you've told. Uh, we couldn't be happier to chat with you. So just best of luck, man. I'm, the honor is mine. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Tom. See ya. Thanks for asking me. Thank you, Tom. All the best, Leo. Privilege. Uh, have a great night. <laughs>